Just two short verses, but a whole lot being said. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray and ask the Lord to illumine this text to us this morning. Lord, we ask that as we consider this matter, that Christ will preach to his people. We believe that this morning. We believe, Lord, that you never fail to show up. You're here and you have come and this is your word. Would you touch our hearts? Would you transform us? Would you make us new? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I want us to think about a few things, and I would encourage you uh, to have your Bibles with you because we're going to look at a few passages this morning. But I want us to begin to think about this. Paul is drawing us to consider now, we've looked at walking in love, we've looked at walking in light, and now he says, walk wisely, walk in wisdom. And so we want to look this morning and think about, to some degree, wisdom. And what I want you to begin to understand is that Scripture is chock full of this discussion of wisdom of understanding, of growing in knowledge, which isn't just making your head fat, but actually leads to a life which is good and pleasing to the Lord. So as we consider that this morning, as we look at it, I want you to think about something that John Murray has said about this particular passage. John Murray says this, he says, He, that is Paul, bids them keep a close watch on the principles by which they are regulating their lives. Let me read that again. He bids them keep a close watch on the principles by which they are regulating their lives. So in other words, what Murray is saying to us, and I think this is really more importantly what Paul And maybe more importantly than that, what the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying to us this morning is we need to think about how we regulate our lives. What is it that is drawing us to regulate our lives? What is the principles by which we are, and maybe what is the principle by which we are regulating our life? How are we living? Are we living well? You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but if you'd like to, I'm going to read to you from Proverbs chapter 1, the first seven verses. And I just want you to hear how Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, what he had to say about wisdom. He said, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, that the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, here's what I want us to look at, firstly, from this passage. Clearly, we all understand, and we we have this in our mind, that clearly Paul here is saying, don't walk as an unwise person, walk as a wise person. And what we we want to do then is to say, okay, well, what's the foolish way? What's the way to avoid? How do we understand what that looks like? Because sometimes we have to at least say, okay, that's not wise. That's foolish. We need to be at least to begin to understand that. Well, 
One of the ways it's easy for us to think about in a foolish way, and the one we generally tend to go to most quickly, is this one. God says, don't commit adultery. There are people who love to commit adultery. There are people who love to go out and do all kinds of sexual sin. There are people who love to steal. They love to hate. They, lo they live for it. That is what makes them tick. They are in utter rebellion against God. They're irreligious. They don't care. And there's a thousand reasons why that may be, but at the end of the day, most people do not have a hard time understanding. If you were to go down on the campus, or if you were to go to your job and begin to talk to people and why they make decisions, people who are living rebelliously will tell you they do it because it's fun. They like it. It's what, they, it what, it's what makes them get up in the morning. Now, there may be moments where they feel that it's not fulfilling them and it's not doing all those things, but they still are compelled to do it. Why? Because somehow they believe at the end of the day what they're really after, they're going to get by doing those things. They're living in open rebellion against God's way. Is there anyone that doesn't naturally think, okay, when we talk about the two ways, because Jesus talks about the two ways, the narrow way and the road that's wide, right? And so we get it. We understand there are two ways. The problem is, so most of the time, Jesus is not talking about those people that I just described. And that's our biggest problem. It's because we think the foolish way is all those people out there who foolishly are living in this open rebellion against God. But that's not ultimately the foolish way that Jesus is speaking to. And I want you to begin to look at this and grab hold of this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I brought this particular passage that I'm going to read to us first. Then we're going to go down to the next part. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. Now, listen to what Jesus says in verses 21 and 23, because we have to get that in order to figure out what he's then saying in verses 24 through 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? But see, these aren't people who are trying to go out and do wicked, vile, evil things. These are people who are trying to do good things. These are good people. What does Jesus say to them? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of what? lawlessness ouch you mean people who prophesy in your name and fed the poor in your name and helped old ladies across the street in your name and got all their marriage badges in your name and depart from me you workers of lawlessness now if you got that now you now let's go down and read the next part Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, Jesus must be saying something besides you're this rebel out there with your, without a cause, doing your own thing, not caring about other people. He must be contrasting something different. And I think it's imperative that we get this because then we understand Paul is not just saying don't be adulterers. 
in Ephesus. He's saying something more than that. It's not that he's not saying that. He clearly is. He's clearly saying, don't go to the temple prostitutes. Don't follow in your family traditions. Don't. But the key he's trying to get at is, why wouldn't you? Because don't we all know? Don't we all know? Aren't we all in this place where we know that there are certain rules of how our family operates? I don't know how all of you are in your family, but most families have a way they operate. It's just the way their family is. And you'll hear people say things like, well, that's just kind of the way our family is. What they really mean by that is there are certain rules unwritten that you've got to play by. And if you don't, then you pay. And the point is, is that at some point, in order to break those lifestyle patterns, whatever they are, doesn't something have to compel you and grip you more than being right with your family, being okay with your boss, getting along with the people at work? Now, if you've got that, let's go back and look at what Jesus goes on to say. He says, so everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house in the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What you're supposed to do when you hear that parable there is to go right back upstairs to the other statements. The foolish man is this man who built, not because he did all these wicked things and so he built this wicked house. He's a man who good worked his life to death. And when he got to the end, it did not stand. Do you understand the tragedy of that? See, I'm afraid that oftentimes when we think it's these rebellious people, we go, well, they got what they deserved. See, don't you see it? Don't you see it? Our hearts are so prone to say, well, they got what they deserved, but look at this guy here. I mean, what if some of these evangelicals are right when they say, Mother Teresa did not truly believe in the gospel the way she should have, and so she went to hell. I don't have enough guts to condemn Mother Teresa because I'm not God and I don't know where Mother Teresa's at and I don't know what Mother Teresa's belief system was. Sometimes people's belief systems are better than their churches. But all this said, what if, because that's what this passage is saying, you get to the end of your life and you were Mother Teresa and Jesus looks at you and says, you worker, of lawlessness. Depart from me. I never knew you. Do you see then how we have to begin to understand what Paul's saying? Don't walk as unwise. Don't be foolish. Don't be people who think and are captivated by, I need to do all these things so I'll be okay. Because if you're doing all these things, to be okay, you're not going to be okay. And it gets down to a simple thing of this. Every Christian, no matter who you are, has some of this, what some people call elder brother, what some people call religious. They have that idea 
in them. We know better. Our doctrine tells us that our salvation is based on what? What we just sang about. Christ alone. But our working theology tells us, I need to be doing all these things to stay right, to be okay. Because if I'm not doing them okay, what must be true of me? I must not be saved. I must not be a Christian. And do you understand the, the perplexity that begins to put you in? It begins to put you in a place where you begin to doubt the very things that Scripture has told you is true. And see, man, when I want you to get really real for a few minutes here. Let's just try and pull back the veneer of all our holiness for just a second. And let's talk about who we really are. Any person in this room who has lived as a Christian for very long, if you have not doubted your salvation, I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know of a faithful Christian who has not at some point said, I just don't know if it's true. My sin is so great. There's so many things going wrong. I must just not be a Christian. That must be the problem. Now, it may be the problem, but the problem is, as long as you keep running down that track, you're never going to solve the problem. Because you're walking down the foolish track. The foolish track says, what I do, my performance, the way I operate, how I deal with things, is how I stay in favor. And that's not at all what the gospel says. So, if that's the truth, and we're all wrestling there, and we all wrestle there, every one of us in this room, and see, it doesn't matter where you slice your bread, how you do all the particulars of raising your children, what education form you choose, all those other things. At the end of the day, what unites us in this room, or should anyway, is a reality that every single one of us struggles right here. Lord, I want to be accepted. Lord, I want to have power to keep people from hurting me. Lord, I want to be able to attain and get the things that I feel like are necessary for me to live a good life. And those are the things that captivate us ultimately. And those are the things we live for. And the problem is that those usually aren't things that are being quote unquote rebellious. They don't look that way. Usually they look really good. I want people to like me, so what am I willing to do? Uh, I'm a financier and I want people to borrow money from me so I can make money, so what do I do? You see, we live our whole life off that grid. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is that Paul, and more importantly, Jesus behind Paul is saying, that is the foolish way. That is the foolish way. It's not just being irreligious. Of course that's foolish. Everyone knows that. But there's also the foolish way which looks awful good. Think about this before we move to this next point. Two men went to the temple. One a publican, one a Pharisee. They both went to the temple to pray. Both of them went to the temple to pray. They weren't being irreligious people. But one showed up and said, I know in my heart of hearts, I'm irreligious. And Jesus says, that man went home justified. The other man said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like those irreligious people, especially like that publican right over there. And he didn't go home justified. 
even though his life looked a whole lot better and quite frankly was a whole lot better as far as society was concerned because public publicans were destroying society and Pharisees were keeping society good trust me you would much rather live in the pharisaical side of town than the publican side of town trust me you would have it's a nicer home they don't paint their houses a bunch of different colors. They don't, they don't have 15 wild pit bulls in the backyard to protect crazy people that come to get them. You see what I'm saying? It, it, uh, trust me, you would have rather lived over on the Pharisee side of town. Most of us would. But that doesn't get us into heaven. And so you can't learn to love all people, Pharisees and publicans alike, until you begin to come to the heart and soul of this matter. The second thing I want us to look at then is the wise way. Obviously, we looked at the foolish way. We understand that hopefully a little better. I want us to come then to the wise way. Clearly, Paul has already told us. And I want you to go back to me. Go back with me to chapter 4 of Ephesians and look at verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Do you think Paul is playing? Do you think he's saying, you know, Dennis, it'd be a great idea if you had a little humility, you know, a little bit of gentility, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It'd really be a good idea if you did that. No, Paul's saying, I urge you. I am begging you. And in fact, he goes on to say, I command you imperatively to do wise things. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, you need to hear that. I've just told you everything at the beginning, what's the foolish way, but now the wise way is this. You do what Jesus says. Jesus says, if a man looks on another woman with sin in his heart towards her, he is a sinner. He is worthy of hell fire. If you defraud, take away, steal your brother's livelihood or his produce or his stuff, you're in sin. Jesus is not lowering the ante in the Sermon on the Mount. He's upping the ante. You've heard it said, but I say to you, and I want you to hear Paul loud and clear. Walk in a manner worthy. It is not okay, he's going to tell us soon, for children to do what they want to do. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Do it. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's not a request. It's not a nice idea. What Paul is saying right now to them is, don't go down to the temple prostitutes. Don't let your family traditions rule you. Put those things away. And see, can't you hear in the back of what Paul's saying is, Jesus saying, no person who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is worthy of the kingdom of heaven. Don't you hear Jesus saying, unless you love me more than father, mother, sister. In fact, you it'll look like you hate them. You hear Paul. That's what he's saying. The wise way says, if your family keeps going towards the temple 
to sleep with the temple prostitutes, both male and female, you don't love me if you walk down there with them. You don't love me. And isn't the whole reason why we're supposed to do what we do because we love Jesus? Isn't that supposed to be the heart call of every Christian is that I love Jesus? Proverbs 3 says this to us. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Proverbs 5 goes on to say, Stay away from the adulterous woman because her way tastes like honey but it ends up as bitter gall. What I want you to see is the imperatives of Scripture flow right into this. Here's the problem. My damnable good works, as John Gerstner says, here's the solution, right? Be wise. Amen. Let's go to the Lord's Supper. Are you satisfied with that? Is that sufficient? See, do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? If that's all we have to say in the church is there's this foolish ways, so be wise, we're in deep trouble. Because every single one of us in this room sells out Jesus every day of our lives. Some of us in big ways, some of us in small ways, but we sell him out. We do set our hands to the plow and we do look back. And we find ourselves not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. You're not. And you need to believe that. You're not worthy of it. There's not one of you in this room that has ever done anything that has made you worthy of the kingdom of heaven. And so the last thing I want us to look at then is the wisdom of Christ. As I said before, in Matthew 7, Jesus laid out a paradigm of the foolish man and the wise man. And what we need to realize, what Jesus is saying is the wise man turns to me. The wise one realizes the days are evil. The storms of tribulation are coming and we need to turn to Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing about that. If you really get this, because I don't want to just say, oh, the answer is Jesus, now let's all go home. Because that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you is, is that you're never going to hear the imperatives and say, I really want to do those things, really. You're never going to believe what our confession, our catechisms teach us when they say that in sanctification, you are being able to actually not sin. You actually are able as a Christian to not sin. Do it all the time? No. But it does mean that every once in a while, Dennis Hermiting slips up and actually does the thing right for the right reason at the right time. Amazing. And that's true of every single other person in this room. Oh, that it would happen more. And see, shouldn't that be the prayer of every Christian? Lord, make it happen more. And the way it will happen more is that what you start doing is being a person who believes that you're standing on the rock. That your house is built on the rock of your salvation. Here's how that wisdom works out. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, Paul says this. And because of him, that is God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. And here's what that wisdom is. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What is my big problem with God? I'm not righteous. I stand in a law court 
And all I can hear when my sins are laid out there is, guilty, go to hell. That's all I can hear. So what we're being told is the wisdom of Christ is my righteousness. In other words, Christ comes into the law court and says, no, here's his record. I'll take his, you take mine. You name the sin, whatever your sin is. Are you struggling in sexual sins? Are you a thief? Are you a liar? Are you a cheater? I'm not saying what people see of you. I'm saying when you lay down at night in the dark, you know your secret sins and misdeeds dark. And I want you to understand that when Jesus hung on that cross, it said, all your sins. All your sins. Dennis the hater. Dennis the liar. Dennis the cheater. Dennis the adulterer. Dennis the... He hung on that cross. See, if you begin to get a hold of that, if you begin to put your name in there and say, whatever my sins are, whatever ones I know they are, you begin to get a, an understanding of the gospel. You begin to get an understanding of what Christ has done. You begin to catch hold of, this is the wise way. And it's not the other two ways we've already talked about. It's not the rebellious way, but it's not the religious way either. It's the gospel way. And it's a completely different way. See, if you would really begin to understand this, you would understand this, that Jesus became the fool that you are so that you might be the wisdom that he is. That's the point. And if you understand that Christ became foolish for you, then you begin to have the strength to get up each day knowing good and well you're going to screw up, knowing good and well you're going to fail. But you say, Lord, bring on the day. Carpe diem. Bring on the day. Why? Because I don't have any fear. I don't have any anxiety. Not because there aren't things that are anxious and not because there aren't things that could definitely do me harm, but because I really have under, I have found wisdom. I really do fear the Lord, which even Jesus himself said, fear God. And then he comes right back and says, but don't be afraid of God because you've been set right because you stand in Christ. So. When we screw up, as inevitably we will, Jesus is there to say, I died for that. And not only did I die for it, I laid out for you the way to walk. And if you walk in me, you will succeed. You will proceed. You will grow and do things wisely. Walk in Christ our wisdom. I have a couple of questions for you at the end. Is this your Jesus? Is that your Jesus? Is that the Jesus you showed up here this morning? Because if it's not, that can be the Jesus you walk out of here with. Because all of us come in here with a distorted view of Jesus. That's why we need to keep coming back. Because we all, the world distorts us. But that's our Jesus. That's him. That's really what he's like. He really is a lover 
We sang it this morning. Jesus, lover of my wicked, desperate, screwed up, fouled up soul. And the question I'm asking this morning, is that your Jesus? That when you lay down at night and think, I blew it. That's, that's the Jesus who sings you to sleep. That even that little hymn that I used to sing as a child, I am Jesus, little lamb, ever glad at heart I am. For the Savior gently guides me, knows my needs and well provides me, loves me every day the same, even calls me by my name. See, if you know that Jesus, you've got something. And that's a Jesus that no matter what he calls on you to do, you say, yes, Lord, just like the prophets of old, here am I. May God make it so in this midst. Amen.